Welcome to Season 1, Episode 25 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. This is the end of your special with Tommy Waite. Welcome to the Beyond the Square Record Christmas Hanukkah end of year mashup special. Hey, Tommy. Woo! Happy <laughs> to be here, Ben. Um, this feels good. We made it. It's the second year of COVID and uh, it's time to talk about books. That's right. I'm so looking forward to this. We already have our first caller ready. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. Very you. nice to see you. Where are you cool. calling in from, Michael? I am in Melbourne. Nice. Right. I'm trying nice. to put my, my radio presenter hat on, trying to do like, oh, where, where are you going in from, mate? But uh, mm-hmm. you look like you're from Melbourne. That's a compliment. <laughs> a Charlene's wedding shirt from, yeah. from Meredith. Last time it happened. It's very, very on brand. Michael, for our listeners, what's your last name? Horn. Michael Horn. Nice to meet you on the show. Thanks yes. for joining us. I probably might be known to some of your listeners as Drunk Pinchon. Your Drunk Pinchon. Drunk Pinchon joins us on the show. That's so cool. That is me. <laughs> nice. All right. Michael, do you want to tell us how's life in Melbourne? I mean, it's nice to be finally out of lockdown at the moment. We had, had a first day of sun basically all year today. Like the first day, it actually felt like it might be summertime. Um La Nina has been very much discussed lately. I think it's been pretty soggy kind of start to summer. Um, but yeah, today's nice. Sun's shining. People are out and about. It's not bad. I'm a high school teacher, so I'm in my, my last week of school this week. Um, <laughs> things are looking up. For those who don't know Drunk Pinchon, this is the most awesome concept going around. Do you want to tell <laughs> us about it? Yes, sure. So... Um, for a bit over six years now, I've been, I've been doing this, uh, project, which is kind of just all about commitment to the bit. I'm not sure what the, what the reasoning behind any of it is. It's just sort of, well, I'm doing this now. I'm going to keep doing it. So I'm attempting to drink every drink mentioned in pinch on novels. Um, so I've cataloged them all, um, going through them in random order, knocking them off and, you know, writing a little pretentious scrawl about each thing. Kind so of each, not... each drink is a tweet or is there a longer kind of diatribe about each drink? Each drink is a blog post, like as if it's oh, 2003. Wow. Um, like some, some kind of artful photographs of the drink, the cocktail with, you know, with my, my poor, I bought a, a first edition of Parody's Rainbow at The Strand in New York <laughs> and it really get some rough treatment, you know, with cold drinks sitting on top of it and taking it to bars and stuff. I feel a little guilty. Um, yes. Yeah, so the, yeah, I write a blog post about each one, sort of not really expecting that anyone will read them, but just, it's kind of, it's like a spiritual practice almost. So I just need to produce that for each one as part of the process. And I'm stealing uh, Ben's thunder here in terms of stealing one of his questions, but what's the gateway <laughs> blog post? Well, what's going what's gonna to get people in the door and keep them there in terms of uh, what, what's your, doesn't have to be the greatest hit, but what's your personal favorite uh, blog post thus far? I mean, if the one that first comes to mind is the kumus, uh, which is fermented mare's milk. 
Um, I think if you start there, you'll have expectations that may then be disappointed by the rest of the blog. Um, that one, I, I've, I wrote a lot more. It's actually like a substantial blog post, whereas most of them I kind of, you know, throw them off without a lot of thought. Uh, yeah, that was fermented horse's milk in Kyrgyzstan. Um, went to Kyrgyzstan primarily in order to get that drink. Wow. Um, was sitting in the back of a bus in Kyrgyzstan rereading the Kyrgyz sections of Gravity's Rainbow. Uh, that, that's a great place to start. If that's um, not commitment to the bit, I don't know what the fuck is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the banana breakfast, another, another highlight, also Gravity's Rainbow from the start of this year. That was a very fun one. I do have a bone to pick with you because I didn't realize this uh, until quite recently as we were chatting, but um, I've been, I was living in Melbourne for 15 years and somehow we didn't even catch up for a drink. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, we can remedy it. My sister's just moved to Sydney where I think you are. So yeah. hopefully we can remedy this sometime. Done. I'm done in Melbourne actually this week. So you never know. Maybe we'll nice, cool. even, even do that even sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got... Um, bottles and bottles of banana meat sitting sitting in various boxes around so we're gonna happily get rid of some of that if you're interested perfect <laughs> all right should we get on to your highlights of 2021 and what you're looking forward to for 2022 yeah sounds good i made a big stack sitting in front of me on my favorite books of the year um so i think my i i read very very few books in fact maybe only one book that was actually published in 2021. So these are not, not new books, just new to me. Um, my favorite of the year, I think, was The Last Samurai, uh, Alan DeWitt. Just, yeah, really enjoyed that so thoroughly. Like such an exciting voice to find, especially the first half of the novel narrated by, I can't remember the woman's name, but the, the mother. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like, yeah, so, so such a vibrant specific kind of voice um just a really fun read also this pretty recent i don't think this year the employees by olga raven raven i don't know if anyone knows the pronunciation yeah olga raven yep yeah um yeah a very short book i read it with my family book club my my parents and my sister and i have a little book club together cutest um, thing ever it is it's very wholesome um well sometimes wholesome dad picked a book last year by uh yoko agawa a japanese writer that had just it was very heavy on the bdsm and the, like, very <laughs> uncomfortable reading with your family uh flashbacks to the first sex scene when you're uh eight years old on the couch we yes, exactly. school holidays what's the symbolism uh, but yeah, the employees is fantastic. Like very, very kind of succinct short book, um, but really very resonant and sort of some, I don't know, creepy body horror almost kind of themes and and a lot about AI and capitalism. And yeah, really very enjoyable. Great book, I think, for a class. Like if you're teaching a lit class, mm. there's so many kind of easily ex explicable sort of themes for kind of pretty easy to hook into. For, for teenagers, perhaps. I don't know how long you want this list to be. I think my top three, third one was The Largest of the Sea Maiden, Dennis Johnson book, short stories. Um, I'd, I'd never read Dennis Johnson before and, yeah, found those really delightful, really interesting. Yeah, they were my favourites of the year. 
Brilliant. Have you got some you're looking forward to for next year? Yeah, I actually just in the mail today, I had show up, um, which I think I discovered through uh, Emmett Stimson, I think you had on as a guest. Uh, this Hang Him When He Is Not There by Nicholas John Turner. Um, for a long time, I felt like, you know, I was drawn to experimental literature, really loved Pynchon and Dave Foster Wallace and, I don't know, Gaddis and these kinds of writers and felt like I had no idea of any Australian writing that was at all in that direction. People would ask me for recommendations of Australian writers and I just had very little to say. Um, so it's exciting to actually kind of find some things and start feeling in that blind spot. So I'm excited about that. Um, also on those lines, I would really like to read some Jen Craig, although I'm struggling to actually get a hold on. Any. Uh, me too. I Like you have to buy her bloody books. She lives in Sydney. You have to buy her books from a guy in America. What's right. going on? Yeah. yeah, it's messed up. Um, particularly when you, you see her like on the Stella Prize website and stuff like this should be available in Australia somewhere. Um, what else? Oh, the, the last volume of Helen Garner's Diaries. Looking forward to reading that. Uh, I also was thinking I might dip my toe into Finnegan's Wake next year a little, maybe. Wow. Maybe not. Well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, yes. So those are a few. All right. Well, cheers. I'm going to have some banana mead in your honour. Thank you. Get into some. <laughs> Thank you. Just a quick question, Michael, before you leave. Scott and Charlene's wedding, what's happening with that band? I remember <laughs> when I lived in New York, that guy was there. <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Dermody? Craig Dermody? Yeah, Craig Dermody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just an interesting guy because he was like, yeah, I'm a bouncer at a nightclub, but also I'm in an indie band. Like, He just seems like a, he makes you, one of those guys that makes you feel lazy. So give me the give me the update. What's what's getting going on with Dermody? And, and yeah, he does, he does seem to be always hustling. Um, I think they just kind of reunited to play that gig at Meredith. Uh, it was pretty delightful. He seemed like so happy to be there. Like it was a bit of a dream for him. Um, mm. I saw... He'd recorded an album with some other group. I don't know what they were calling themselves. Um, he often seems to be playing solo gigs just at various pubs and things. Um, yeah. I know this, this shirt, I got blood all over it in like the show after it. There was this like full-on mosh pit kind of thing. It was at uh, Amel and the Sniffers. Oh, yeah. I like that band as well. And I just happened to get a nosebleed, not to do with the mosh pit really, but it looked like the cocaine that you put up like your I fucking nose. Yeah, it looked like I was probably doing a lot of cocaine, <laughs> which I was not. Uh, probably most people there were. Um, but I felt I felt like I looked very hardcore and I had blood all over the shirt, which my girlfriend managed to get out and was looking <laughs> crisp again. This episode <laughs> is sponsored by Nappy Sand. Thanks for that. Uh, you've just weaved that in beautifully, Michael. Thank you very much. This pays the royalties. <laughs> Great. Well. Happy New Year, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Michael. Nice to meet you, dude. Thanks for coming on, Michael. No problem. See you guys. All right. See you, mate. Peace out. Cool. Wow. That was our first caller. How'd that feel? I felt like we had a pretty good kind of like good guy, bad guy, you know, radio type of vibe. Who's Hamish and who's Andy? I don't know. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's the right answer. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. We we just you just lock me in for another year of doing this radio show with you. <laughs> if it's a yes. once a year show, I'm I'm in. That's right. The contract will just be the once a year and that'll be it. 
So, Go, why don't we just quickly, it, uh, unless you've got people in the waiting room, that no, you can no one's see. there. So, why don't you just smash yours out quickly, man, yeah. in terms of uh, 2021? Why, why don't we strike while the iron's Sweet. hot? Let's do it. All right. So, I had a really good year of reading, especially since starting this uh, podcast. I'd like to start with your book. Definitely, Any Day You Can Die um, was a brilliant way to start the year much earlier. And then talking to you about it was great. Um, so, I loved it. Then let's get into Sean's book. So Sean McCallum, recalcitrant stuff of life. Um, Easiest book of the year to say. Just yeah, rolls oh, off absolutely. the tongue. I know, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> never mind. I love the Netanyahu's by Josh Cohen. I love Sunflower by Tex Gresham, who was on the show. That looks um, really cool. That one. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So it's a, just a really out there, out there book. Um, and did you see that he actually gave a copy to uh, Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson, I know. which How is cool like is that? what exactly as he intended it. So yeah, that's that, those type of dreams seem unfeasible, but then you add COVID in terms of like, uh, you know, barriers and fucking social distancing. You're like, how's that ever going to happen? But the man yeah. did it. So Californian dreams, they come true. That's true. Yeah. So I was really surprised when he, when he did that, but um, good on him. Good on him. I hope they do make it into a film at some point. That'd be so cool. What else I like? I really like The Great Fire of London by Jacques Robard, the luminous novel by Mario Livrero. Uh, and if I'm going to get to my book of the year, I think I'm going to choose Monument Maker by David Keenan. It just came to me at the right time. It was just a really different book. It just ticks so many boxes. So one of those books I wanted to start again as soon as I finished. So those are probably my highlights for the year. Well, yeah, and just quickly on that one, for me, I've listened to most of your reps, um, but for me, that was kind of your standout episode on your pod as well because, A, uh, such an interesting fella and yeah. um, just such a uh, an amazing interviewee and, you know, you clearly jive with that book on such kind of a deep way. And it was like, it, it made me kind of feel like a kid again, listening to that where I was like, Oh, this is fucking cool. Like it, yeah. it um, just the kind of expansive nature and just kind of the whole idea of what should a book do? Um, and just kind of the, the uh, audacity of that, of that project was, was pretty um, insane. And so um, yeah, top work in terms of encapsulating that in your podcast episode because i think that's what's so cool about your podcast in, in particular is that um the the whole kind of like concept of media hasn't really caught up in terms of uh, writers being able to promote books so i'm assuming david was pretty happy to get the opportunity to kind of talk about it on your show and um yeah it definitely got me i probably wouldn't have discovered that book uh if it wasn't for your podcast episode and then the fact that it was such a kind of fun conversation it got me really excited for the book as well yeah it's one of those books that it came across me uh in a really strange way and it didn't come across through the regular channels of, of the kind of people I go to for books but when I heard about it I just had to buy it and came in the mail from the UK and yeah I just uh read it in about two weeks when I got it and it's a it's a good 800 page book, but it's mm. just um, really cracking read. It just uh, really took me by surprise and just took me to places I didn't think that uh, a book like that could go to. And then talking to the guy, the guy is just a fucking legend. Like he's just yeah. so cool. He's got such a good perspective on literature and art and his writings just, it's not overly complicated. It's just really 
great, um, entertaining, deep uh, writing. It's really fun. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, should I smash out mine quickly yeah, while we're here? To. Yeah, go for it. So I, ca- I want to keep this really short and sweet because we're going to you know, have a lot of guests and uh, recordings to play. So uh, in terms of uh, the book released this year that I really enjoyed, um, I was lucky enough to have the guy on my podcast, Tommy Waits Square Record, shameless plug. But um, the book, and and it's a really, it's the book is called Coincidate, and the author is David R. Lowe. And I guess the premise of the book is um, it's about a dating agency in California where they essentially spy on the person that you're crushing on and mm-hmm. gives you kind of tidbits about their personality and I guess kind of it makes the courtship process as simple as possible. And um, there's a bunch of kind of revolving characters. And um, it's one of those books where it was just like written in a way where it feels uh, like, is this kind of like um, too elementary or something? Is, is this kind of like a kind of a YA book in a sense, even though it's about incels and kind of like some heavy shit, but it's just written in, in, and I guess coming from a writer's perspective, where you're like, fuck, how has he made this so readable? And so you're able to kind of like rip through it. And uh, what I really liked about that book is that it's one of those that kind of lingers with you. And I, for me, it really reminded me of Vonnegut, where with Vonnegut's books, where you can kind of rip through them and they're fun and kind of like uh, uh, wacky and entertaining, but then they kind of linger with you. So that was a book where it was like, when I read it, I was like, oh, this was a fun read, good book, but I wouldn't say like my favorite book of the year, but it's like one of those where you're like, fuck, you've stayed with me. And um, I really think about that kind of story a lot. And uh, I guess both from like a reading and writing perspective. So coincidate David Arlo, he was on my podcast where we talked about that, uh, his book. And so that was a really good read Uh, in terms of the best book that I read this year. It was uh, hope by Glenn Duncan. I mentioned this book really briefly when, when I was on Beyond the Zero, episode one. Um, it's this uh, Glenn Duncan's, this British author from the 90s. And um, yeah, Hope, I believe, was his first novel. It's just a kind of, a, for me, I, I guess, kind of like a forgotten classic in respect to, I, I guess you'd say it's kind of like transgressive fiction, but um, just kind of like an exploration of a, of a failed relationship, essentially. And um yeah, blew me away. So um hope by Glenn Duncan would be um yeah, my favorite of of any book that I read this year. Nice one. Very cool. What what was the experience like for you interviewing people that you've, you know, read their book and enjoyed their book? Mm. So I, you know, I I cheated sometimes where I would have someone on and I would have only have read the first 50 pages or hundred pages or something. And I feel like in a way that's kind of better because you get a feel for the story. And then if you read the entire thing, you may be scared of stepping on spoilers or something. And and I'm sure this is something you've probably thought about. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess I try to, because there's a part of me where I feel like I'm trying to kind of uh, do inside baseball stuff and try and figure out how they did certain things. But then I also just kind of want to talk about the themes and, you know, make it accessible to a non-writer as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting for me. But um, 
I guess there is a slight amount of paranoia that I feel where I'm like, I want to try and it's like, I record a podcast with these people and we, we share some DMS before and after, but like, I've only got them for an hour or an hour and a half. And so like, I want to try and like milk, milk it yeah. for all, all it's worth. Cause there's things about that book that I'm like, Oh fuck. I wish I could do more of that in my own writing as well. So it's uh, I, I heard um, there was this big kind of kerfuffle with this uh, writer in New York where he was apparently stealing uh, Sam Pink, this American writer's work in, in this new book that he's got coming out because he got this big advance from a publisher. And um, Sam Pink, this uh, American writer, he wrote this big blog post kind of like saying that, yeah, he kind of stole my thing essentially. And um, one of the things that he dug into this other guy about where he was saying that like, he created this podcast and essentially networked with people in the New York literary scene. And, and he, the way he condensed the idea of a podcast where he was like, yeah. And he's podcasting with these people. And let's face it, a podcast is just essentially a networking tool. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like I, I know that that's everyone kind of understands that's a part of it, but I really try not to do that with my show where it's like, I try and be like, there, there is my personal intentions of like wanting to meet people and wanting to learn shit. But beyond that, I'm just kind of like, if I was sitting down at a bar with this person, what the fuck would I talk about? And so I try to be, I try to have somewhat of an agenda, but then I'm also kind of like, don't have an agenda at the same time. Just fucking talk about whatever you want to talk about. So how, I'm curious, how do you, how do you approach um, interviews with authors? It depends on the author, I think. And it depends on, how much I know about them beforehand because some you know a fair bit and some you know basically zero but I do try to read their book beforehand and then most of the time with the people I approach like I've got a fairly good idea of what I'm going to ask them beforehand like you I think I like to learn about these people I like to learn what they do and in a way I just want to step out of the way and just move over and let them say what they want to say and hopefully Mm. just be a really good conduit and and ask the ask the right questions when they're needed. Yeah, no, but you you've uh dude, your podcast already it's like the World Cup of books was the the perfect illustration of it in terms of just the buzz. And uh, you know, all these people that because I guess I've only really been fucking around on uh lit Twitter or book Twitter, whatever the fuck it's called in the last 12 months. And so I was kind of like aware of these different personalities who I found personally interesting, but then you have been able to kind of like pull them all together through your, through your pod. And um, that's pretty impressive considering you're only at like episode 30, is it? No, 25 like three or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that was, how, how was the world cup of books? Like, was that annoying to kind of execute? And that, Cause I was thinking like, this is fun to follow along. Yeah, And um, I just, I essentially only voted on books that I've read because I felt like that was only, um, I had a hunch in terms of which books I'd prefer um, based on secondhand feedback, but I didn't really want to involve myself on stuff I wasn't directly, uh, you know, I didn't have a direct opinion on, but was that annoying at all in the back end to manage that? I think truth is once I got the concept straight, I think that was the hard part was trying to work out how the concept would work. Basically the draw was kind of hard to put together because I had to go through every single episode show notes, which luckily are there. Um, and then try and work out how the seedings would work and do it like a real, you know, tennis draw. Yeah. So 
that part of it was a little bit tricky. But once that happened, once all the draw was up to date, it really was just like running a tennis tournament. So I knew who was playing who, basically. Um, the draw kind of worked really smoothly. And I had James Rosewarn on board, who we'll talk to soon. And uh, he is a stats man. He knows his stuff. And so it was really good talking to him about how to run it and how to do it really well. So I think um, it's kind of thing where it just, it worked better than I thought it would. I'd love it to be, uh, I'd love it to be even, even better, but we'll see. I think it'll come back next year, but it's, uh, the conceptually, I love it. I think it's such a, it's, it's just different and that's a fun idea. I'm such a fucking art jock. Like I love fucking books and music and all that, but then give me a, give me a competition like I following along like yeah. I, I couldn't help myself just to kind of like follow like that and the it, it was a fitting uh grand final like talk about in terms of uh if you were the bookies were gonna maybe have some short odds in terms of who was gonna be in the final then that kind of did eventuate if you ask me man mm. on the street who would be in the fight and then for it to be so close mm. the fans got their money's worth but oh, put it that sure. way yeah I, yeah. I'm surprised, like that final result being like 1.5% difference or whatever it was. It was just so. It close. almost seems like you're cooking the books behind the scenes. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not casting any aspersions here, but it seems just like you're trying to keep engagement up to the very end. You've taken a lesson from Zuckerberg and his cronies, potentially. Uh, I actually, I wish. The funny thing is, right? I think that if I would have been able to, uh, to swing things more to my direction i probably would have at some point but it's so difficult to actually change those results because people are so passionate about what they were looking for it does make me think of like a bigger question you know we're having this thing now where it's like fun and games but i uh earlier this year i went to um i entered the wa premier's prize for um the your first book because i was living in wa and uh i released my first uh, novel so all you had to do was send the uh, wa government five paperbacks and to be honest I, I didn't like my chances going into it but i was like yeah at least i can kind of freak a few people out with my book so that's worth the price of admission and then so of course i didn't get i didn't win or, or get shortlisted or anything but i went to the events and it's cool going to the events uh because you get to just kind of schmooze and 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 it's such an interesting um dynamic being a writer and the fact that it is incredibly solitary and it's a self-selecting audio uh you know group in terms of that's people want to be solitary that's why they become writers and and i guess there is maybe a incongruence there where the occasional kind of like complete extrovert happens to be really good at writing as well but the the thing that i kind of was struck with in terms of like if you win that's great and you have a nice kind of like uh, something that you can stick on your next book. But then I was also like, if you don't win, it's kind of good as well. Cause it's like fire in your belly and like, fuck these people that don't know what they're talking about. So yeah. I kind of like, I, I've realized about like my book coming out 12 months ago, I had this idea, digital kind of like fiend brain of mine where I was like, you release a book, and then you've got a three month window to promote it and then it's done. And yeah. I'm kind of um, 12 months later, I'm just getting people now that are kind of like um, finding my book, uh, reviewing it, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to me on social media, whatever it is. And I'm like, 
oh, that's, that's fucking awesome. Because you kind of realize that you don't really, you do understand it theoretically, but when you actually release a book, you're like, oh fuck, it actually will outlive me. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the whole kind of like concept of like, oh, I need to get some like buzz. I need to get people saying my book's great. Like in the short term, when in reality, there's going to be like waves of kind of like up and down culture is going to be this way. It's going to be that way. And so um, that's kind of like inspiring in a sense where you're like, who gives a fuck if people don't like your book now? Uh, the the wind is going to change tomorrow and uh, culture might be like, you've got a fucking masterpiece on your hands. So I, this is fun and games and, and it's going to be great to kind of like shine a light on shit that we enjoy now. But I, I'm sure there's been times in your life where, you, where your opinion has, has changed on books and, oh, and, you sure. know, and, and, you know, things were down now they're up and vice versa. Yeah. Speaking of that, how's the writing going for the sequel? Yeah. Great, man. Yeah. I'm, um, you know, that's another thing that I was kind of, uh, that's changed based on this kind of like, I was kind of like, you write a book and then you've got to get a next one ready to go and punch him in the face. Louis CK released a fucking, uh, you know, comedy special every year. You can do that as well. And I've realized that you kind of need to, uh, you need to kind of milk things for what they're worth. And, and I felt like if I want to do um, the sequel justice, I kind of need to let the first one breathe. And so yeah. I'm thinking it's, it's coming along really well. And uh, so I'm thinking like mid year next year, sometime it'll be, nice. it'll be ready to go. And yeah, I'm just still kind of like figuring that out, but yeah, it's all, it's all coming together nicely. So I'm looking forward to being done with that. Well, I hope a lot of people will get any day you can die under their Christmas tree this year. Cause I think it's just a really 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 good Aussie read I think in terms of books from Australia that I've read this this year I've got two top picks from Australia and they would be um Michael Winkler's Grimish and your book I think they're for me anyway they're the two top Aussie books of the year by a long way and hopefully you both get recognized in some way for for those books well thanks dude yeah and I don't want to make this a complete me sesh but the when when I came onto your uh your pod and you said that my book was like unapologetically Australian. I can't remember your exact phrasing, but you said it was really Aussie. I was like, that was one of the things that meant a lot to me because I was like, I, and you've talked about this in some of your episodes as well in terms of like, um, I think I believe it was with Emmett when you were talking about like Australian writers will like reconfigure location or something to make it more, appeasing to an international market and things like that and i was like that annoys me in terms Mm. of like and i'm not a fucking southern cross on my shoulder type of australian by any stretch of the imagination but i'm more just in terms of a fan of literature i want to read australian stories i want them to you know that why should you have to kind of tone that down or change that and so that wasn't a kind of a prevailing thought when i had it in my when i was writing my book but it was more a case of like well my narrator's australian uh, he's a wannabe writer. This is how he would talk and this is how he would write. So I put that in there and um, yeah, it, it's just pleasing that um, Australian readers and it's, it's cool because as well, I, there's this uh, Eastern European girl who read my book and she's like, I've read many books by Australian authors mm-hmm. and I can't tell uh, if this um, narrator is meant to be kind of uh, uh, a, a complete douchebag or like, you know irritatingly thinks he's too cool or whatever but that's the impression that i got and i was like that's the case in point where she like she doesn't understand the vernacular but it doesn't matter you understand it 
and you understand what I'm going for with the character. And then someone who doesn't understand the vernacular understands the subtext. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I want more books to kind of double down on Australianness because why the fuck not? We've talked about our favourite books. Let's go to David Keenan and hear about his. My name is David Keenan. I'm an author, the author of Monument Maker. Um, my book of 2021 was The Things We've Seen by Agustin Fernandez Malo. Fantastic, uncanny novel about place, space and time. Um, the best non-fiction book I read this year is a toss-up between Burning Man, Francis Wilson's fantastic biography of D.H. Lawrence, a biography via more of his um, scattered and obscure works like the Italian diaries and Fantasia of the Unconscious, which has always fascinated me. And the other great non-fiction book was John Higgs' take on William Blake, William Blake versus the world, which is really like, more like a user's guide to the imagination, really, as well as an incredible take on various aspects of William Blake's art. And the book I'm most looking forward to in 2022 is Wendy Erskine's second collection of short stories, Dance Move. She's my favourite contemporary writer with such a feel for the surrealism of everyday life, the joy and the tragedy and the hilarity. Thanks, David. Now let's head down to Melbourne to Bram Presser. Welcome to the Christmas show, Bram. Ah, oh, you know, Merry Christmas, Hanukkah Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah. You know, moving moving house, so, you know, yeah. I'm in hell, but other than that, I'm great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was saying to you just before, like, I think there's a personal place in hell for Hitler and he's just moving house all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there is no worse punishment. Nothing That's worse. Right. Cool. All right. <laughs> Let's hear about your best book of 2021 and what you've read this year and what you're looking forward to. Right, so I have to say my best book this year uh, by by a mile, I, I'll say like, you know, whole nother uh, solar system um, is The Employees by, uh, by Olga Raven. Um, it's got the, the really brilliant subtitle, A Workplace Novel of the 22nd Century. And it's like this brilliantly odd fragmentary, I guess, space opera in miniature, which is also kind of a sharp satire on kind of the modern bureaucratized over-administrative workplace um, it's set on this. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a, a message from like outer space. Um, <laughs> it's, it's set on on this ship called uh, this spaceship called the Six Thousand Ship. With it's got this mix of kind of human, humanoid, and I think like robotic crew. Um, and they've just collected samples from a planet um, called New Discovery. And each chapter, which is when I say chapter, I use this term very loosely. Uh, it's sometimes a paragraph, sometimes a couple of lines. Um, there's a redacted report here. There's, you know, brief dialogue there. Um, in each of those, like one of the crew members grapples with an artifact or a concept that's kind of been thrown up by what they've found. Um, there are no names, right? Each of the characters um, is identified just by a number. And it, like, so you end up with this kind of weird patchwork bureaucracy that, that, that comes together in, in, in like a brilliantly um, unique way. Where you you have this kind of it's like that classic you know organization as living being, but where all of the parts seem to be kind of slightly at odds with one another. Um, and like for me, it's I don't know like you, you know I read a lot, um, but it's it's not often that you come across a book that you really feel is doing um, something you haven't seen before. And and, and like 
and you know, if if I'm going to be entirely frank, I'm not entirely sure I know what the hell Raven was actually doing in this book. <laughs> um, but whatever it was, it just blew me away. Like I, 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 I literally, it's a short book. It's 130 pages or something like that. And I, I spent, um, you know, all 100, like literally from the get go with my, with my jaw on the floor. Um, like it's, 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 it's kind of dark. It's confounding. It's profound. It's funny. Um, and it kind of, uh, I don't know, like it got me thinking in, in ways that I don't usually think about things I don't usually think about. I, you know, I generally just sit in a little room and scribble and that that's my life. Um, so I don't, I don't have that kind of, um, you know, businessy workplace kind of world. Um, so like, you know, these ideas of like sentience and like spatial permanence and like the absolutely stupid rigidity of the way um, many of us order our lives. Anyway, yeah, The Employees by Olga Raven is just amazing. And I, it's, it's, it is, it is, I, I read a lot of good books this year, but this just like, this is one of those once in a decade kind of books. Um, the other book that I really loved um, was a book called Mona by um, Paula Aloysirac, I'm going to say. Um, and uh, she is um, Argentinian, I'm, I think. Um, it's seriously the funniest book I've read in like forever, basically. Um, it's about a woman, Mona, who is a writer, and she's invited to um, this, I suppose it's a literary festival where they're going to bestow the second most prestigious literary award in the world. And um, that, which is, <laughs> which is named after Alfred Nobel's best friend. Um, and all of these writers from around the world descend on this, uh, I think it's in Switzerland. I, I really should have checked before I spoke to you, but um, anyway, and um, they, it, it just absolutely roasts everything that is ridiculous and, and stupid and, you know, self-obsessed about the writing life. It's so funny. They're like, I just wanted to be like tweeting passages of it the whole time. I, I felt like there was this early on, there's this passage about, about um, writing your second novel and just the, the, how, how basically how much it sucks. Um, and uh, I, I was laughing so hard, but I was also kind of crying because I, I was feeling it. I'm like, <laughs> yep, this is my life, right? You, you, like in a, in, in a page and a half, you have, you have captured my life. You've put it in a little box, you've thrown it in a furnace and, and, uh, and, uh, and you've laughed at me. Um, it's, yeah, it was, it was just things like that and everything. And also the, you know, the, the, the faux politeness of the interaction between writers at these things who are like mortal enemies. And, um, it just, and, and each of these international writers gets kind of a bit of a, they get a speech at, at various different events and each one's like more pompous and, 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 and hilarious than, than the one that came before. Um, and, you know, the whole, the whole time they're all kind of pretending that they're, they're not really interested in winning, but they're all like basically want to kill each other to make sure they win it. Uh, and it just, it gets it, like the book kind of progresses. It gets stranger and stranger. And in the end, there's this, it's got the weirdest ending I think I've read in a book in a long time uh, where it goes into this magical realist horror, which is so funny because it's, because it's so unexpected and it just, it's like the comeuppance you want for all of these like horrible people, um, <laughs> but like in the most, you know, unexpected and really, I mean, it, it's so over the top. Uh, like the only way it could have ended in a funny way, like to top the hilarity of what came before was by doing something so out of the box. Um, and that's exactly what she does. So yeah, Mona by Paula 
Aloysirac, uh is just phenomenal. Um, now, in terms of books that I'm looking forward to, well, one, <laughs> this will come as a huge surprise to anybody <laughs> who knows me. <laughs> like, given that uh, on, on your uh, World of Books, uh, your, your World Cup of Books, I'm still uh, <laughs> trying to vote for, for her, despite her being knocked out two rounds ago. Um, so Dasha Drindic, um, who, I mean, she died a couple of years ago, but uh, her earlier novels have not been translated to English yet. Uh, people know her, uh, Trieste is obviously her kind of masterpiece, but more recently, uh, um, Belladonna and EEG have gotten a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of love as well. Um, but all the stuff that kind of came before, I think it's, I think Trieste was the earliest of, of her books that's been tra translated. I'm probably completely wrong. Um, and, and now, a, a, like a small indie publisher in uh, in England called Istros Books, who does um, who specialises in, in 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 translating fiction from the former Yuga, mostly fiction from the former Yugoslavia, um, it, they're doing her back catalogue, and just before she died, uh, Dasha was quite friendly with Susie, who runs Istros, and uh, she she gave Doppelganger, the novella, um, which some people might have read, uh, to Istros to, to publish in English. And um, I think New Directions in, in America do it. Um, and anyway, so they're now about to, <laughs> this is the longest way of saying, they're about to publish uh, Canzona de Guerra, which is um, war songs or songs of war, um, which is an earlier novel. And I don't know much about it. I, I don't really need to know much about it to be absolutely dying to read it. Um, it's from what I understand, it, it, um, it's kind of Drindich in her kind of classic way of, you know, completely harrowing, excoriating, uh, uh, picking apart of the horrors of the particularly 20th century. Um, and in this one, she's looking at, I believe, kind of emigration in the wake of war and, and kind of the, the way I don't know, the, the nonsensical nature of borders in collapsing nations. So, you know, and it's, again, from what I, you know, in, in classic um, Dasha style, it's going to be that kind of fragmented patchwork kind of piecing together uh, little bits of, you know, historical notes and narrative. And I, I imagine it'll have uh, some kind of documentary fictional um, I'm just sort of now uh, fantasizing about this book. <laughs> um, but uh, look, I've not read anything by her that was not absolutely brilliant. And from what I've heard, uh, this is no different. So I'm really thrilled that Istros are publishing the back, uh, back catalogue and I cannot wait. I think it's coming out in April. So yeah, Canzoni de Guerra by Dasha Drindich. Um, and the other book I'm really looking forward to, which is out already, and I think quite a few of, uh, well, certainly your listeners, but I'm actually some of your guests as well, I know have already read is um, The Interim by um, Hilbig. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you read it yet? I haven't read it yet, no. Still waiting. Uh, yeah, so it looks brilliant. Uh, I know literally nothing about it, but I, I love him. And did, have you read his like time? The, his two really short novellas. Um, the only one, the, I, the, the only one I've read is the, is H. I think it's called. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, H, yeah. No, so, I. So there's the, no, the, the, it's I, isn't it? It's I. <laughs> yeah. Don't I sound in Yes, H, of course. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? I, like, I, it's funny because I was just talking to someone today about um, Kader's, or however you pronounce his name, um, uh, the file on H. Yeah. So I've just got H, H in my head. Um, but yes, I. It's, um, there's the old rendering plant and there's um, what's the, one? The, the trees. It's something, I, I can't remember the, the title, but uh, and which is kind of ridiculous considering it is my favorite book of his it's it's tiny but it is just it's just phenomenal uh but anyway so so he's one of those people that i'll 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 read whatever he writes but um i know nothing about the interim other than that people are loving it who i know also love him and therefore i will be going i'm kind of excited about going in blind um you know it's a nice way to experience a book by an author you love um literally not knowing anything about it nice. so yeah they're, they're my they're, they're they're my books and uh you know I, I i also kind of look forward to my usual thing of stumbling across books that i have no knowledge of their existence at this point in time and they will you know i i would have you know the employees and mona i'd heard of neither neither book or neither author before before I kind of just picked them up on a whim and they were my two favorite books of the year. So I'm hoping that happens again, except that, you know, they'll have to take second and third place to Dasha. <laughs> Bram, I think you're batting four for four. I'm going to buy all of those books you mentioned. I think those are, yeah, some really interesting. Awesome. No, you'll, you'll, you will love them. And, and if you can, uh, you know, you obviously can't speak to Dasha or, 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 or to Hilbig um, unless you have um, special supernatural powers mm. that I'm not aware of. But uh, if you, if you could get uh, Paula or, or Olga on, yeah, uh, wow, that would be like, uh, you know, I, I'm batting for you. <laughs> I, I, I just want to hear that. I want to hear them talk about their books, and and you're the person I want to hear talk to them about it. So, you know, it's uh, it would be the perfect match. Make it happen. Make it happen. Yeah. I say. All right. <laughs> if either of them are out there listening, uh, yeah, I'll get on to you. So. <laughs> they're both they're both very responsive on Twitter. So you know, yeah. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You're, you're good at the Twitter connection. Done. Okay. Sold. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Bram, um, good luck with your move. Happy belated oh, Hanukkah. And, um, yes, and to you. I hope you have a lovely new year browsing the great bookshops of Melbourne. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes. Now that we can again. Yeah. Yes. Can't wait. And also baby on the way. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there, there is. Actually, who am I kidding? I'm browsing nowhere. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a room like uh, with my, put, keeping my eyes open with tooth, toothpicks while some, someone vomits on me. So that's the reality, isn't it? That's it. All right. Well, I wish you all the best for the year ahead. And, um, yeah, we'll talk to you really soon. Thanks. Great. You too. So, yeah, have a great, good one. Ciao. You too. I like, you know, Bram strikes me as maybe the most Jewish person I've ever heard <laughs> in, in a very good way, as in like, I want him to sit me down and kind of tell me stories. Yeah. No, Bram is awesome. Uh, his writing's great. He's just a cool guy. He's, uh, he's very cool. And he seems like he's had quite the life in terms of the whole punk rocker yeah. thing. No, he's amazing. Question he's- for you. What's, how do you... Because like the thing that I've been amazed at is in terms of like when you have a guest and they mention a book, you're like Reddit or like that came out recently, Reddit. Like yeah. how, are, are you a fast reader? Like what what's the kind of like, what's the practice in terms of fitting it all in? I, with the podcast, uh, it makes me read a lot. So I read 
a whole lot of books. Um, but then I like to be aware of everything. So I try and all the things that are on my radar are, are the kind of things that are on most people's radar, I think, who come on this kind of podcast. So I just try and be really aware of what's out there and make sure that if I don't, if I haven't read it, I know when it's out or who it's by or who the publisher is, or at least know some things about it. So I think that um, I tried get across a whole lot of different, um, whole lot of different books that are out there and make sure that I know what's coming out, who's it by. So generally speaking, I think I'm pretty good with that. Reading it sometimes takes a bit more time because uh, it just, you know, it's consuming like reading mm. books it takes a lot of time and yeah, it's hard to get through everything, but with a lot of things, you know, you, you work out good practices and you work out things that work for you and yeah, but just trying to get through books and trying to read a lot is, um, yeah, you know, what I've, what I feel like is um, I've refined over the years in terms of like understanding your own kind of appetite in yeah. terms of what book you're in the mood for at any given moment in, in your life. So you can um, you can buy a book and be like, oh, it's this hot new, it's the new fucking Franzen. Yeah. I got to get stuck into the new Franzen. It's the everyone on Twitter is buzzing about it, and so you will have that as like you're finishing a book and you'll go. In theory, you'll go to that next, but um, something will change in your life, and you're like, no, that's not the right time for me to sink my teeth into this Franzen. I need to go like nonfiction. Or I need to go like something shorter or do, do you have kind of like guiding principles in terms of like how you, you manage that? Uh, theoretically, I do. But usually the fact, the reality usually outweighs the guiding principles. So the guiding principles <laughs> are normally, are normally uh, what is coming up for the podcast, like at the moment anyway, like what's coming up for the podcast, what I need oh, to Oh, sure. Do. That almost becomes work in, yeah, essentially, exactly. right? You, you have to do it by deadline. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also like the fact that what am I going to enjoy? Uh, what do I need to break that up with? So sometimes like if you read something that's really, really good, then like you're going to, it's like a rebound girlfriend, right? You're mm -hmm. going to end up running to the next book and it's probably going to disappoint you in a way. So I found that like, if you read something and you really like it, follow it up with something that's short and follow up something that is something uh, you probably know you'll like, right? Um, because even if you're disappointed, it'll probably be okay. But if you follow up two books in a row that you think you'll really like, odds are I reckon you'll probably dislike the second one more. Um, that's, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's funny, like in terms of being a writer in respect to like understanding your own work, the way I look at it is that you have to kind of see yourself as a um an artist on a festival bill or something where it's like okay th there's going to be like the headliners and then there's going to be the artists on the kind of like the um the smaller stages and there's certain people who are like no i like new metal yeah. it's going to be corn and limp biscuit for me yeah and i'm going to like go get drunk and listen yeah. to corn on my iphone next to my ear i don't i don't care about the other bands and then you've got like the music fans who will listen to anything so it's this um this strange thing where you got to try and understand that like you're maybe the wrong book at the wrong time for a certain type of person considering like like you said who they're rebounding off yeah. and so it's a it's a very interesting thing and, it, and you may be getting yourself off the hook in terms of uh being like well 
yeah, this is why people gave me a bad review. I, I didn't dig what I did at the time, but I think it's a reality because I know for me personally, like if I've tried to get into things when I'm not in the right headspace, it doesn't work. Give myself yeah. a few months and then it changes completely. Yeah, exactly. In respect to you letting me know that uh, any day you can die kind of had some kind of like overt Huelbeck influence that I was kind mm. of unaware of since then I've read um what the fuck have I read I've read serotonin and I've yeah. also read uh the one about the Islamic uh takeover of uh, yeah. well submission. what's up submission yeah oh dude and it, it's basically like there's I've been on a couple Asian holidays where I've been drinking for four nights straight and then I like I've had a big lunch and I'm having a cigarette somewhere staring at some kind of like just like a, a medium distance stare at a, a kind of like people frolicking in the beach and I'm a bit fucked and I can't move. And I'm like, that's how I feel when I'm reading Welbeck. And I'm like, yeah. I've internalized that feeling and he's written books about it. And it's yeah. just, and I'm like, dude, you nail, I can't wait in terms of platform when I get into that. I've got yeah. that. I think I tagged you on Twitter when I, yeah. when that book arrived, but um, thank you so much for giving me the, uh, I'd heard his name for years, like I said, on your app, but you gave me the nudge to get involved. And um, yeah, it's been a fucking pleasure. I might tell you about some of the books I'm looking forward to in 2022. Because yes. The first major thing I'm looking forward to in 2022 is the new Welbeck novel. It is coming out in March in French. Um, it doesn't have a title yet, but uh, it's 736 pages. So it is so going to learn key. French. And uh, just schedule a few hours in your calendar and you're going to fucking right. make it work. Yeah. Duolingo is going to fucking well teach me <laughs> French. And then, then I'm going to read the new Welbeck novel in French. No, it should be out in English by September, I think. Duolingo, so. tell me how she sat over there and stared at me and said I was a bitch. And then I drank <laughs> red wine and smoked a cigarette. Yeah. If I understand that, I'll get the, I'll get the new Michelle That's right. novel That's down right. pat. Whatever the word for cunt in French is, I will learn it. <laughs> All the different variations, the past That's tense, right. the, the kind of just happened now, it's good, about to happen in the future, get it all. Exactly. That's right. So I'll learn that and I'll read that. Um, but yeah, that's coming out in March in French. And usually what happens is with these books is they translate them really quickly. I assume that's what will happen because they want to get it out in English pretty quick. So, And just quickly before I, I want to hear your other ones that, that are coming out next year that you're yeah. uh, intrigued about, but like just overarching, what, what are your bullet points on Huelbeck? Like, how do you feel it? Because I, since you told me about him, I did a bit more of a deep dive and sound, yeah. kind of like learned about the whole, like, Oh, he's just kind of like a, it basically in terms of like, he's a bit too Hollywood in terms of like, for like serious literary people and, and the fact that he'll kind of like take hot button issues and kind of like, um, you know, insert them into his story. Like how, how do you feel about him as a writer in terms of the bastion of uh, great writers? Look, I think that in terms of uh, writers of the 20th century, 21st century, I think he's somebody who is completely unique. He's as controversial as Mailer. He's got the writing skills of someone like Philip Roth and uh, he's so current and he's so challenging and people, people love to hate the guy. And he's just someone you kind of want to root for because he, he writes really nicely. Like there's a lot of, it's funny because people uh, I think find him difficult because of his, the way he writes about women or the way he writes about religion and things like that. But when you read him, I don't think he's, I think he's just a dude who writes what he sees 
and he likes being a bit of a shit stirrer and mm-hmm. he likes being he likes talking about politics but like you read like submission right which essentially on the on you know when you looked at the blurbs for it like people were saying oh he's anti-muslim and you know and france gets taken over by this islamic kind of party and the funny thing is everyone's much happier everyone's like fuck this actually works yeah. dude like it's cool and like I think the funny thing is he he just challenges perceptions and he does really different things. So I I love the guy. I think he's he's one of the few authors around at the moment who, if a new book comes out by him, I will be the first person in line at the bookshop to pick it up. Yeah, that that's a sign of someone who's kind of like you've had four good books and and you've appreciated them all, and you're like, yeah, I'm getting your next one. So that yeah. like. That, that's a pretty impressive record but yeah in terms of like submissions a perfect example where it's like yeah it's about kind of like the islamic future and all that bullshit but i was like i was uh shout out to my buddy gc Mackay, author of heather and uh fubai you should definitely check out those books but he um i was saying to him because he's a big Welbeck fan but hasn't read submission and i was like dude people gave him shit I believe because it was the Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, exactly. um, it was released on the same day. So that was kind of like the, it makes sense. So that's kind of like the the timely reason why he got shit about it. But I was like, the whole book, it's like subterfuge in terms of like using the Islamic thing. It's essentially, the book is about the fact that men are, will do anything for pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, if I if I could put it, condense it into a sentence. And yeah. so he he's like, okay, what's the most kind of anti- antagonistic, playful way <laughs> that I can you you know fuck with that thing? Yeah. And and you know and like play around it. And I, I just love the meandering red herrings and all that shit. So yeah. Anyway, this is the long way uh, of me saying thank you for telling me to fucking read him because I yeah. was like. I must have been reading him in my sleep because yeah. I'm essentially doing a poor man's version, of, uh, an Australian man's version, as you said in your very kind review of Any Day You Can Die of uh, <laughs> Michelle, because yeah. he's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, I fucking love what he does. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. Man, this book, if, if he can sustain this writing, if he can sustain the intensity for 736 pages, I reckon that's going to be the peak of 2022 for me. So. Yeah, because I think that was the thing about serotonin is that it it kind of like in, in a weird way, it felt like it peaked too early. Like you get about uh, 65% into serotonin. You're like, oh shit, is that the climax? Yeah. And then, but yet he does kind of like, because it is, that's a book about depression pretty mm. much. So he does actually make depression like, real depression interesting beyond the um like old cool led zeppelin friend from college fucking eating a shotgun or like you know just uh essentially suicide by police or whatever it was and you know like no prospects so i feel like uh he's a he's a very special guy and uh yeah i'm looking i I didn't know he was writing another one Um, yeah it'll be out gonna be fun very soon yeah my pick for 2022. I'll give you a few of the others while yes, we're here. Yes, let's do it. Um, there's new Javier Marias. It's Thomas Neverson. It's a 600-page sequel to Berta Isla. I love that book, so this will be fantastic. There's a book called Solenoid by this guy called, um, I'm going to say his name wrong, So, but I think it's Marcia Cartescu, um, which is everyone's raving about it. It sounds really cool. It just sounds like a really postmodernist 
uh, book. Um, by well, where's he from? Where it sounds Romanian. Yeah, I think he is Romanian. And yeah, it just sounds like a really exciting book. There's this French guy, Pierre Sange, and he's writing this book called, uh, well, he's written this book called Ahab, and it's uh, got in brackets sequels. So it's about basically what Ahab does after Moby Dick, which I think will be cool. Mm. There's another book called XX by Rian Hughes, who I think is Welsh. And he's written kind of this book about uh, extraterrestrials and it's got all sorts of snippets of documents and stuff like that, which sounds great. Um, there's a book called The Logos by Mark De Silva, which is another 900,000 page book uh, about consumerism and stuff like that, but it's a novel and it sounds amazing. So I'm hoping to interview him next year. More David Keenan is on the way, which is really cool. Um, more oh, Andres, already. Yeah. Oh, he's got so many books in his back pocket. Like there's just going to be stuff coming out for years. Wow. But, yeah. There's more Andras Neumann, who is coming up on the show soon. Um, I don't know if you've read him, but he's really cool. Uh, he's Argentinian, but he lives in Spain. Um, he's got a, quite a few books that haven't been translated into English yet that will be coming out. No, I've never read him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, he's really cool. Um, there's an illustrated version of Ulysses coming out <laughs> by this guy, the Spanish dude, an artist uh, who died a couple of years ago called Eduardo Arroyo. Um, and that sounds amazing. Um, so when that comes out, I will buy it. And I'm hoping for new Thomas Fincham book. That would be nice. So um, here's the question for you in terms of uh, I you know, outed myself early in the episode by calling myself an art jock. And then yeah. I like double outed myself in terms of saying, I love Welbeck. He defines everything I am. Like, so I'm, <laughs> I'm basically here in terms of the literary cool stakes. And then you're yeah. kind of like way cooler than I am. <laughs> and um, it, in respect to kind of like the episodes that I've listened to you uh, talk with other kind of like reviewers and kind of like uh, people who uh, read translated works and stuff like that. What's the kind of like, um, uh, I'm just curious in terms of like, let's take Michelle for, for example, or uh, no, fuck it. Let's take uh, Marquez, for example, yeah. right? Um, uh, someone who's lauded in English and Spanish, right? How, you know, is, is there any kind of like, is, is there someone who's bilingual and be like, oh, I've read both and you're like, you're missing out in Spanish. Like, you know, they get the gist because they get the plot points and they figure it all out. But like, you really didn't read Marquez. Like, how? Yeah. What, what are some kind of like interesting tidbits or kind of like anecdotes in terms of that whole debate, which I'm not even sure exists. I'm just guessing it exists. And I, and I want the, the kind of like the inside, I'm smarter <laughs> than you beef. So... <laughs> I've been to, I, so I spoke to two really interesting people the last couple of weeks. I spoke to this guy, uh, Max Lawton, who's a translator. He translates heaps of stuff. And he was talking about the fact that sometimes a translation can, it's kind of like a cover version, right? Mm. Like essentially it's not the original because it can't be. Because if you Google translate something, it's going to be shit. Um, so you have to take liberties. You have to take some, you know, you have to change things because things don't translate from language to language. They just don't. So the translator has to play a really creative role translating from the original language into, let's say, English. Um, now, that I thought was really cool because I, I, you know, I didn't think of it that way. Then I spoke to this Andras Neumann, who is this Argentinian bloke, and he's a fantastic writer, but he's also um, 
really well read and he speaks English really well. So he reads mm-hmm. English really well. He can translate uh, from a number of different languages, but predominantly Spanish. And he was saying that in Spain, right? Now, the work of Edgar Allan Poe was translated by Julio Cortazar, right? Who is one of the most brilliant Spanish writers around. So this guy writes these amazing stories. He wrote this book called Hopscotch, which is unbelievable. And so you get someone like Poe, who's translated by Cortazar. And then I was like, I said to him, how cool will it be to translate the translation of his work back into English, right? So essentially you'd be translating the work of a translator back into the original language. Yeah. And and I reckon you'd come up with a completely different thing. Like I think mm-hmm. it would be totally different. And I think that that's the, in translation, I think that's that's the thing. Like if you're a good translator, I reckon you are, you're doing the fucking most epic cover band song. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to be better than the original. Sometimes it's going to be worse than the original. And sometimes it's going to be so fucking different that no one will know what the, where mm. it came from. So I think that the, the art of translation is really complex and I don't claim to understand it in any way. But I think that having that knowledge that sometimes uh, something can be one thing in one language and have a total other creative life in another language is a really cool idea. That's interesting because it kind of like, it begs the question, um, you know, and I'm sure that I'm sounding like a, a, a simpleton here, but basically there are certain works that would be automatically disqualified for translation because it just like, it would be too reliant on the slang or just in terms of the sentence structure the the author prefers it would be like no that's not going to fucking work in spanish or whatever Mm. so that's interesting it's kind of like if you want to be well translated if you want to have like a global audience you essentially have to have like this it's probably plot and character right that that has to be um universal in some sense i think that there is an aspect to that i think that most things can be translated like you look at something like Arno Schmidt's Bottom's Dream, which was in German and was in strange dialects and had all these um, crazy like textual elements. And this dude managed to translate that. So I think that most things are translatable in some way, whether they have any resonance with the original product, I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, they, I think they are. Most things are translatable. But I think that, yeah, you're right. Sometimes there is, there's stuff that an Aussie book maybe wouldn't work if you translated it into, you know, I don't know, into African or something. Like, I don't know uh, how much cliche or how much euphemism or whatever translates and what would get mi- missed in that text. I don't know. But You know, you know, when like the kind of standard uh, diatribe from like an author uh, in the eighties and nineties in respect to like, Oh yeah. Um, someone, made an American version of my book or, uh, sorry, uh, my, they made an American movie out of my book or something and they Americanized it or something. And there was this like disdain because they kind of, um, they didn't translate the specific details accurately. I feel yeah. like a lot of that was born out of like the artists that were successful and found publishers or kind of like, uh, film studios or whatever to kind of like create their original concept they were paid handsomely directly 
in their own market. And so yeah. like anything on top of that was like cream. And so if someone fucked it up, it was like, hey, why, why'd you fuck up my like beautiful bait boot <laughs> now? Where it's like, if anyone, you know, in terms of like, if there was a bastardization because it's such a crapshoot in terms of like, whether you get paid in your like original market, I reckon mm-hmm. a lot more people, because in terms of like, you think about like Brett Easton Ellis's work in terms of like uh, pretty much all this stuff, like I would argue that uh, the rules of attraction is like the best movie that's come out of his work. Uh, in terms of like the most accurate betrayal probably made the least money mm-hmm. out of like a, a, the lot of them. And, uh, and so it's this weird thing where it's like, do you give a, are you meant to give a fuck uh, in terms of like what people are? Cause I feel like in terms of uh, that there is a nice divorce that happens when you finish with something, it's like, I'm done with it. I, I feel like I've got a good idea in terms of what this book is meant to do. I hope right readers pick it up the same way. Um, if they don't, who gives a fuck? And then so I, you could almost extend that in terms of other people reinterpreting your work, whether it be for a translation or a film, um, or you could be um, fussy and protective about it and be like, no, you didn't, you didn't say uh, Australia the right way. I'm angry. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. This is the end of year special. Cause I'm a Jew, a lonely Jew, on Christmas. It's hard to be a Jew on Christmas, but friends will let me join in any games. I can't do Christmas signs, I decorate a Christmas tree, I'll leave water up for Rudolph, cause there's something wrong with me. My people don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're being a I'm a Jew, a lonely Jew, on Christmas. Hanukkah is nice, but why is it? Santa passes over miles every year. Instead of eating am I every week, oh, you're lucky. Instead of silent, I don't see you, ho ha What the fuck is up with all these candles? Tell me, please! Yeah! Because yeah. I'm a Jew, a lonely Jew. This episode is brought to you by the Nicki Minaj biography, Wet Ass Pussy, ghostwritten by Joshua Cohen. Comes with a free mop. Available everywhere you get good books. Welcome back to the end of your special. Let's head over to Dustin Illingworth. 
What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dustin Illingworth. Um, I was asked by uh, Beyond the Zero podcast to talk about my favorite novel uh, or novels of 2021 and what I'm looking forward to in 2022. Um, I'm also supposed to keep this brief, so I'll do my best. Uh, my favorite novel of the year, I think, is probably The Luminous Novel by Mario Levero, um, translated by Annie McDermott and um, published by And Other Stories. Um, and it's this wonderful sort of anti-novel. It's, it's about a, a novelist who, who can't seem to write a novel. And so it's filled with all of the um, these digressive pieces and the, digre the digressions themselves sort of end up becoming the work of fiction. And um, I think it'll be familiar to any anyone who's ever tried to write but can't seem to find the, um, the work ethic or the inspiration. Um, and it's also just incredibly charming and often um, wonderfully profound. Um, I think my favorite book overall that was new to me that I read this year was um, The Inquisitor's Manual by Antonio Lobo Antunish, and I believe translated by Richard Zenith. Um, just monumental, this eye-opening work. Um, he's now become very rapidly one of my favorite novelists. I, I'm reading uh, an Antunish book seemingly every other month. Um, this one is just this swirl of different um, voices talking about an oligarch in, um, in, in Portugal. Um, and it is beautiful and, and, and terrifying and haunting. Um, strongly recommend starting with that one and then reading everything you can get your hands on. Um, and then finally, what I'm most looking forward to next year, not a new novel, but uh, Dalkey's reissue of um, Miss Macintosh, My Darling by Margaret Young. You can see I've got my copy right here. It's a giant tome. Um, swirling kaleidoscopic uh, masterpiece of American modernism. Can't wait to uh, read very intelligent people writing about it. I myself am going to contribute something, I hope, um, but it's going to be a great sort of cycle of criticism and conversation, I hope. So that's it for me. Hope you all had a very happy year of reading and um, have an even better one in 2022. See you later. Bye-bye. Well, Dustin's amazing. I think uh, future Pulitzer Prize winner for me. Yeah, Dustin's a uh, legit fella. He yeah. uh, he's a professional in a in a world of amateurs. That's, that's what him. I that's how I describe him. Yeah, definitely. He's just um, I reckon he's somebody who writes about books in a way that nobody else is doing at the moment. Well, very few people. We will have Greg Gerke on shortly as well, who uh, is also writing some amazing stuff. But Dustin is just somebody who, if he writes about stuff, I'm most likely to buy it, I have to say. Yeah, I, I think um, Dustin was someone who kind of uh, on your pod, he was kind of like uh, just so professional. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, I, I feel completely unprofessional. <laughs> and and, and uh, I feel like that's meant to be a part of the charm to a certain degree in terms of like some writing. And, and I feel like you can get away with that to a certain degree, but I'm like, I was also listening to him and I was also kind of like, when does that happen? Like, when do I, what, when am I meant to kind of like cross over to the threshold of that kind of world? <laughs> and, and I don't even mean in terms of like the, the legit publications, but I guess in, in terms of like talking about work or, or just kind of like being serious about stuff. And, and, uh, and it, cause I put a great value in terms of like, fucking having fun and fucking around and stuff like that but he was also kind of like a, a jovial kind of like normal person but it was also like yeah this is like 
what you're meant to get out of stuff. And it was like very kind of like a, a kind of like a, a nice awakening to me in terms of like, yeah, you're meant to kind of like engage with shit seriously and kind of like download stuff. So that was a really cool episode. I enjoyed as well. Let's head over to the UK and speak to Courtney S. Gray. My favorite book I read this year is Story of the Eye by George Bataille. And the best book of 2021 that came out in 2021 is uh, Stuart Book's Hypnopony. It was, it's a very unique story done through chat logs. Um, I definitely recommend you go and find him on Twitter and see if you can source a copy because it's really such a lovely but very, very sad story. And I think lots of people will really enjoy it. Thanks, Courtney. Hypnopony, have you heard of that one? Yeah, I have because uh, Stuart's actually... Um... Stuart's been laughing at some of the shit posting that I do uh, Monday to Friday on uh, Twitter. And so there was something that caught his eye the other day. Some of my, um, some of my self-flagellation that happens in public. And uh, yeah, so I was like, who the fuck Stuart? And then, um, yeah, like I, I <laughs> the, the fucking novel looks awesome. It looks yeah. like it's about a, uh, yeah, I, I don't really call it. It's just basically uh I don't know. It was happened in a crescendo with me where I heard about this kind of book where it was like some other chick, not Courtney, but some other girl on Twitter. Um, chick. I'm I'm outing myself once again as a fucking uh, <laughs> as a fucking art jock. <laughs> Jesus Christ, female. Um, and uh, some female on Twitter was basically like, uh, "Yeah, his book made me cry," and I think it's essentially like um, it's kind of like a brony type of thing. But it, yeah. but it's like a brony with a heart type of story, mm. so it was it was intriguing, and it seems like it's um very uh people are fucking into it. So yeah. uh and yeah, and it seemed kind of like very um uh dynamic in terms of its uh structure in, in respect to like Courtney just mentioned in respect to kind of like the, the chats and all that shit, which is yeah. tricky as a writer yeah. to try and get that right. Yeah, so I've got my copy on the way. I yeah spoke to Stuart and he's yeah sending me a copy, which is great, and uh, looking forward to reading it. I thought for a second I had something over you. I was like, oh, I know a guy that you do, and then of course you fucking know him. <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit! You want me? You led me into that as if I was like, oh yeah. By the way, it means Stuart. Yeah. He's laughed at a couple of my shit jokes. Uh, oh, you piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> your shit posting. I love your shit posting because I love the idea that it's kind of just an exercise for you, like before you start actual work, like that you just, you know, your shit post for an hour. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to give Twitter that stuff. I don't want to put that in my work. That, yeah. That's for Twitter. That's for the, yeah. the fucking, um, that's for the fucking uh, mouth breathers out there. Yeah. I don't want to put that anywhere near my book. So, um, yeah, I I make that a point in terms of like uh, every day. This is a good plug. Thanks again, Ben. But uh, <laughs> I Monday to Friday, uh, you'll get Tommy's ten tweets and uh, Twitter just like ten random ideas. They'll be floating around in my head, which are. Um, non-deserving of my books and if someone if you give me enough love uh from a tweet then maybe it'll make its way in there but yeah it's basically just kind of like a a natural expulsion and yeah. um <laughs> it's uh it's often not pretty it's often not funny 
but uh at least to me because i thought it and then um but yeah at least it's out of my my system so uh yeah that's uh that's what i do on twitter because i've i actually have a problem with twitter in terms of like how people take it seriously i was kind of what i was talking about before with dustin in terms of like how people do that and i'm just like because i've seen so many people who are kind of like have good intentions they're serious they um put out good work and then um the world tears them down yeah through one random misstep but we talked about this a little bit when you're on my show and i was just like you know what fuck this i'm if if this is the gutter they're getting my waste yeah that's how i see it so basically i try and make it entertaining i try and make it funny but it's filth and it's disgusting and it's the it's the um the stuff that's not worthy of any anywhere else so i think that that's what social media has become it's a fucking proponent of fucking filth. And so if that's what they have designed the platforms for, that's what they're going to fucking get. So anyway, follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Tommy Wait. <laughs> Cheers. Woo! All right, let's head over to Seth from the Waste Mailing List. Morning, lads. Seth here from over at Waste Mailing List. Ben, love the show. Tommy, super excited to get stuck into Any Day You Can Die. We've reached the end of another fantastic year of reading. It seems the topic today is our best book of the year. I'm gonna cheat a little bit, cause I'm gonna list off what is technically a 2020 release, but it was not released until 2021 over here in Australia. And that's Bubblegum by Adam Levin. This is a novel that I would classify as soft sci-fi or maybe what some people might call speculative fiction. It concerns itself with a world where the internet has never existed and in its place, our object of collective fascination is these little creatures called curios or what Levin would describe as flesh and bone robots that think they're your friends. At the center of this story is a character called Belt Magnet who feels complicit in the development of this strange world and alienated from it at the same time. In the strange, surreal landscape of the pandemic that we've all been living through, I think these themes of alienation and isolation are particularly prescient. But Levin doesn't get bogged down in the monotony of that. He injects this story with a lot of levity and irreverence, and there's a degree of hopefulness amidst all the melancholy. Some people might call this genre new sincerity, and thematically, I think it would be absolutely pertinent to call it a formative successor to Infinite Jest. I think it's something that I have not seen enough attention for in the book community, and I would love to champion it. So my best book of the year is Bubblegum by Adam Levin. Hope you're all doing great, and I'm really looking forward to another fantastic year of reading. Talk to you guys soon. See ya. Thanks, Seth. Tommy, have you read Bubblegum? No, I haven't read Bubblegum. That sounds like a fucking read, though. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting book. And Adam Levin is uh, not to be confused with the singer. He's a pretty interesting writer, too. So. This toll has taken its toll on me. <laughs> she said goodbye. All right, different guy. <laughs> yeah, different guy. Seth has probably one of the best voices in the country. So good on you, Seth. Thanks for coming. I was about me. to say, his balls dropped twice. I <laughs> know. Yeah, I've got to have him on just to get the better audio quality. So, yeah, he's, he's pretty cool. 
We've got a message here from Martin Shaw from the Book Desk. His picks for 2021 were Clairvoyant of the Small, The Life of Robert Walzer by Susan Bonofsky, The Moment by Peter Holm Jensen, and his pick for 2022 is Adam Ouston's Waypoint. Uh, he's an Australian writer. It sounds like a really cool book. And now let's go over and hear from Greg Gerke. The best book uh, released this year for me, it's a tie. Uh, one is Gabriel Blackwell's Correction from Rescue Press, 101 short essays slash fictions, and two, Gary L. Lutz's Worsted. It's a compliment to her, The Complete Gary Lutz, which came out a year before. The best uh, book I've read and continue reading is Proust. Uh, it's beyond infinity. The art is sublime. Uh, I recherche le temps perdu. And the books I'm looking forward to next year are Lydia Davis's Essays 2, though it is being released this year. I won't get to it till next year. Gabriel Blackwell's Doomtown, that which will be on Zero Gram Press. Uh, J.M. Tyree's Letters on Malik, Von Trier, and Kieslowski. And he wrote that with Morgan uh, Mays. And a few books from Sublunary Editions. Max Bletcher's two books from him, translated by Christina Tudor Sideri. And look for her great essay in the third issue of Socrates on the Beach. And also they have a couple translations of Cortazar books coming out. Also, I'm looking forward to Mark De Silva's The Logos, an 1,100-page brick from Splice and Clash Books. And finally, Janice Grill has two books coming out. Uh, one a translation of Robert Musil's Literature and Political Writings for Contramundum, and also an essay book of hers, of her own writing for Splice. I think the logos is going to be a standout for me for next year. I unfortunately missed most of that because I went to take a piss. So sorry, Greg. But uh, <laughs> Greg's um, used to that. All good. No, just people when he talks run out the room holding, <laughs> the, holding their crutch. Poor old Greg. <laughs> we'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. This is the end of year special.
This week's episode is brought to you by the new children's book, Where's Peng Shui? Available now at all good book retailers. We're back on the end of your special. Let's head over to Canada to Travis Meyer from Meyer's Mega Fictional Musings. On your mark, get set, go. Ben, Tommy, what's up you sexy bastards? A great idea this was and thrilled to be involved. So firstly, this year was by far and away the best reading year of my life, and twas not an easy task for me to sift through it all and come up with my best books. At this point, I've completed 37 this year, some mammoth ones included, and before I start, I will say that each book I do complete is one that I've enjoyed. So again, I will naturally be leaving out some great titles here. But my favorites, number one, Disobedience by Michael Drinkard. You've probably never heard of it. It's a blind shot in the dark selection from the thrift store that I picked up in February. Very few people have heard of this author, yet he's crafted a simply magnificent, postmodern, dystopian, smart, sincere, disturbing, funny, and accessible novel. Do seek it out, people. Number two, I want to go with Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson, which has been on my radar since I first read DFW about a decade ago. Uh, It was an all-consuming experience during the three days it took me to finish. I simply fell in love with this narrator, and it's a totally unique structure. Uh, I sense that it's on a lot of people's radar or TBR, but I highly recommend bumping that shit up. Thirdly, I want to mention Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry because it was such a delightful surprise uh, that made me realize I perhaps need to open my mind to other genres of books, westerns included. The Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli, my choice for a book club, was also immensely enjoyable and affecting. American the Cult of the Cactus Boots, a diagnostic, is a new favorite going forward. Moby Dick was even better than advertised, thanks in some respect to your book, Tommy. Uh, I read my first Vonnegut, Faulkner, Gaddis, Updike, Saunders, Ballard, Marquez, Harsh, and, of course, Milan Kundera all this year, all of which were fabulous. Real quick, looking forward to next year, guys. Um, Some of the ones I know I want to tackle include Alan Moore's Jerusalem, Bulgakov's Master and Margarita, Alexander Theroux's Darkenville's Cat, and Sergio de la Pava's Lost Empress. I also plan on reading my first Franzen, Volman, Camus, among others. Just to wrap up here, I want to express my gratitude and love for all the nerds in this great, great community. It has truly enhanced my life experience. Happy holidays to all. Cheers, Ben. Tommy. That man knows how to deliver a pitch. Jesus Christ. I I feel like I need a rally for a political party or something. (laughs) He got a heap in there, didn't he? Yeah. Pretty well. He's he's a great guy. His YouTube channel is fantastic. And um, yeah, he's a really nice guy. I called him from work by accident a couple of days ago and we just had the best chat. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, uh, he's good at reviews because I think that they're... um, with the vloggers sometimes they can get kind of like too into the weeds sometimes. And uh, <laughs> he's good at, um, yeah, not necessarily like keeping it short and sweet, but like can actually kind of like keep it, uh, uh, you can engage with what he's saying about yeah. like, you know, I, cause I feel like that's something that I wouldn't um, personally, I wouldn't do it because I'm like, I want to try and stay on the writer side of the aisle, but I also yeah. just don't think I'm capable of describing a book, uh, why I found a book interesting without it becoming boring. If yeah. I'm just staring at a screen, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it takes a certain talent. And I think he, Travis is definitely someone who can actually kind of like articulate in a, 
in a condensed way with his video. So that's, uh, he's got a good, good thing going with his uh, YouTube channel. Let's go over to New Zealand to Ian Smith. My name is Ian Smith. I live in Wellington, New Zealand, and I'm on Twitter as Ian Smith NZ rather inventively. Um, The best uh, books that I read this year, there were two easy takers for that. First one was Novel Explosives by Jim Gower. That's a fantastic propulsive read, packed with long, winding, often hilarious sentences, so I encourage you to read that. The other one was Animal Money. I couldn't drop this one from the list. Um, by Michael Sisko. That one's just plain weird and untethered, but if you can make the jump and go along for the ride, I think you'll have a great time with that one. Um, as for the best books published this year, I'm probably not the best well-placed. I'm not the I'm not best placed to actually talk about that. Um, I'm such a creature of delayed gratification um, that often I don't get round to books until several years after they come out. But I did read one this year, and um, that was The Netanyahu's by Joshua Cohen. Pretty much anything he writes, I'll jump onto. So um, I enjoyed that immensely and recommend you go and have a read of that one too. Um, As for what I'm looking forward to next year, well, the big event uh, for me, I think, will be the release of Antagony by Louis Goytisolo, translated by Brendan Riley. That's coming out in May 2022. Um, That's about 900 pages odd and captures four books that trace a social history of Barcelona from the Spanish Civil War to the fall of Franco. Um, I'm also looking forward to reading anything pretty much by Vladimir Surikin. Haven't read him yet, uh, but there's a bunch coming out on Dalkey Archive, um, and I'd like to read the Ice Trilogy at some point. Um, Alejandro Zambra um, has a new book coming out called Chilean Poet, which uh, takes my interest. That's translated by Megan McDowell. Um, Looking forward to that. Uh, rather shamefully, I don't really know terribly much about good Kiwi literature. Um, that's literature from, from New Zealand. Um, so I'll be, I'll be tracking back and checking out um, Carl Schuka and um, maybe I think I'll be looking into a writer called Pip Adam, whom I haven't read. And as for stuff that's on my shelf, there's loads there that i still got to get through, but Monument Maker by David Keenan and Kin by Miljenko Djurgovic, translated by Russell Scott Valentino. I'm looking forward to those immensely. Um, Hope you have a good year of reading ahead next year, and thanks to Ben for playing this. All the best. All right, let's head down to Wollongong to James Rosewarn, my co-host from the World Cup of Books. Welcome to the show, James. So good to be here. Let's hear about the books that really stood out for you in 2021 and uh, if you've got any books you're looking forward to in 2022. Yeah, definitely. So here's just a sort of list of things that I absolutely adored this year. Just random order would be Anita Bruckner's The Debut, her first novel. Um, It was a big Bernhardt year for me, so I could go any number of directions, but I wanted to throw out a couple old masters in concrete. I thought were crazy, really incredibly good off the back of some Bernhard last year as well. Um, Banville, like I've mentioned to you, has just been amazing. Eclipse, this whole trilogy, the Cleave trilogy is, is something incredible. Um, and then you go back, Book of Evidence as well from the late 80s. I love and so with Ghosts as well while we're there. Um, a shout out to the dog from Joseph O'Neill 
Okay, I've, I've read this again. So I read it pretty much every year. I love this book and it gets better. Um, we were just talking before about Polar Olusharak's Mona. Um, it's This has just blown me to pieces. Um, one of possibly the best novel for this year. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And exciting news for pod listeners regarding Polar as well. <laughs> Don't give that away yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Um, Shaggy Bain um, from Douglas Stewart I thought was was brilliant. There was a heap of Laurie Moore for me that I, I was, I, I loved, um, particularly self-help. Javier Marias's uh, Heart So White and Jacob von Gunten from Robert Volsa as well, I thought was... And, and one last one <laughs> with, with Shantytown by Cesara. Nice. Um, I thought that was absolutely superb as well. So, yeah, they were the uh, the books that most got me. And, I, 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 you know, what us readers are like, we always have to get one last thing in as well. Clarice Lispector's The Hour of the Star. Thanks, James. Let's head down to Melbourne to Michael Winkler. Oh, g'day, Ben and Tommy. Nice to see you, Michael. Very nice to see you uh, and your amazing podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the Christmas special. Yes, well, um, all sorts of exciting things under the tree, I hope. <laughs> so tell us, uh, what were your best books that you read this year and your best book of 2021? Yeah, I read a lot. I read more books than usual this year, um, but I fell in love with fewer. Uh, and I don't know if that was COVID or if that was the books or if it was me. I'm sure it was the books. Um, a lot of the books that I enjoyed most this year were rereads, um, like The Hamilton Case by Michelle de Kretzer and Axiomatic by Maria Tamarkin. Um, I finally caught up with Olive Again by Elizabeth Strout, which is exquisite. Um, in terms of this year, I think Jeff Sparrow's Crimes Against Nature is exceptional, a book about uh, global heating. Um, and a, a shout out for a funny little self-published book of stories, uh, Lumpy and Lovable uh, by Poe Ballantyne called The Mayfly Glimmer Before Last Call. Um, but my book of the year uh, was Amnesia Road by Luke Stegeman. Um, I read it a few times and it's profound and knotty and erudite and difficult. Um, it, it draws lines between um, um, the killings of First Nations people on the southwest Queensland frontier and the Civil War murders in, in Spain. And the writing is uh, as high a level as you could want. And the thinking is um, is astonishing. So, yeah, Amnesia Road, uh, my best book for uh, for twenty twenty one. Amazing. Is there anything you're looking forward to in twenty twenty two? I'd love uh, a couple of uh, Bonza novels. I, I just yeah, I, I want to get lost in um, lost in something I love in in twenty twenty two. And no, there's no specific expectations. Um, whatever is, uh, is is coming down the pipe next. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the Christmas special. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tommy. All right. See you, Michael. You can tell that guy's a fucking salt the earth type of person from his fucking voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, 
he's a really special guy. And uh, Grimish, if you haven't read it or bought it, you bloody well should because it is the, I reckon it is probably the Australian novel uh, of the decade. Um, it's a big statement, but you know what? I think it's uh, it's just a really different. It's Christmas. Let's fucking novel. share the love around. I'm I'm yeah. for. I haven't read it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. read it, mate. I will. In fact, I'll probably try to send you a copy. I think I'll do that. So. It and it seems kind of like an you know that's what I kind of dug about the your description of it in terms of just the ambition of mm. uh, of you know the the fact that uh, it doesn't have to be a certain way. The novel has this predictable structure, blah blah blah. And he was like, "Fuck that! Let's uh, let's go out there and yeah. uh, let's test the waters." So that's kind of fun. All right, let's go to Jake Dean in South Australia, winner of the prestigious Grimish Short Story Competition. G'day Ben, listeners, short story heads, um, let's just get straight into it. My best book of 2021, I reckon, was Born Into This by Adam Thompson, a Tasmanian Aboriginal short story writer. Um, his collection is just fantastic look at, I guess, racism and colonialism, um, cultural destruction, uh, yeah, so some pretty hectic themes, but it's just really skillfully written and quite funny at times. So that was probably my favourite that was released this year. Um, in terms of the best book I read this year, there are a few. I really got into Stephen Milhauser, the um, American short story master, and his book We Others, which is a, sort of his collection of greatest hits, um, has been on high rotation here. Um, Novel-wise, it's probably a toss-up between The Animals in That Country by Laura Jean McKay, which um, details a, a pandemic where people can communicate and understand animals, which is really inventive and just a great read, and Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward, a writer from Mississippi, um, who wrote a novel about a family um, in the lead-up to Hurricane Katrina, which was riveting um, and, yeah, pretty hectic read as well. Uh, books I'm looking forward to in 2022, definitely Andrew Roth, an Adelaide short story writer. His book, um, The Teeth of a Slow Machine, which is coming out in March, that's probably the one I'm most looking forward to, as well as What Fear Was by Ben Walter, another short story collection. Um, Randy Rewo has a book called The Burnished Sun coming out in April, which should be a ripper. And Robbie Arnott, who's another Tassie writer, there's a bit of a theme here for some reason. Um, his novel Limber Lost is coming out, and I loved his first two novels, so definitely keen to get my hands on that. Um, and that's the new ones that are coming out. But yeah, the other books I'm looking forward to, I sort of would, probably wouldn't have heard about if it wasn't, well, not heard about, I probably wouldn't have been giving a go if it wasn't for uh, the podcast. So thank you for all your work and all the um, all the interviewees for their recommendations and stuff this year. Um, and yeah, it's because of you. I'm I'm going to give Grimish a crack early in 2022 by Michael Winkler. Can't wait to to read that. Um, I'm reading Under the Volcano by Malcolm Lowry at the moment. Um, thanks to the Dustin's uh, episode. So halfway through that, and yeah, I guess I'll give you the verdict at the end. But also, um, yeah, going to give Moby Dick a go finally in 2022. So finally dust that off my shelf. So yeah, thanks again for a ripping year of podcasts um, and recommendations. And I hope everyone has a great Christian New Year filled with heaps of books. Catch ya. And now we head down to Tasmania to Adam Alston. Hello, it's Adam Alston here. I'm just going to talk to you briefly about my favourite 
book of 2021. Uh, it actually wasn't published this year. It was published quite a while ago, in the mid-90s, I think, 1996, uh, Hermione Lee's biography of Virginia Woolf. And I, and I read it primarily just out of an interest, not only in, in Woolf's books, but, but more of an interest in, in how writers live the writing life. Uh, and one of the interesting things that Hermione Lee manages to show us is is how Virginia Woolf lives many different lives at the one time. And I think I think the one thing that that stayed with me from the book, and it's 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 pretty epic. It's over eight hundred pages. The one thing that stayed with me was a comment that. Wolf makes in one of her diaries that her mental illness saved her. And uh, I found that that kind of idea kind of ricochets throughout the book and in various ways, in, in the form of the book, uh, but also in in the way in which she speaks of her own writing and how she, she uh, manufactured her own novels. Um, so that was my favourite book of this year. Uh, and the books that I'm looking forward to next year are, are, are many. Um, first of all, my my own book is coming out in. Uh, it's called Waypoints, and it's coming out in in March. Uh, published by Puncher and Watman in Australia. Um, so that's all been very fun to put together. Um, uh, and Ben Walter uh, is uh, his book's coming out in. February, uh, uh, called What Fear Was. Uh, Robbie Arnett has a new one, which I'm looking forward to. Jane Rawson has got one coming up too, which I'm also looking forward to. So I think next year is going to be a, a great year in in Australian publishing. Um, so that's this year and next year. Thanks. Let's head back over to the US and talk to Ryan Alexander from Republic of Bad Taste. Hi everyone, this is Ryan Alexander. I'd just like to thank Ben, not only for inviting me for our initial conversation, but also to share some thoughts here for the end of year special. And just as important, thank you to the listeners. I've received so much amazing feedback and it's so very gratifying that some of what I read and have to say might be of interest to you. I'm closing out 2021 with two books. The first is The Interim by Wolfgang Hilbisch, translated by Isabel Fargo Cole. I first became aware of it via Twitter as part of a discussion about Thomas Bernhardt and German language fiction. The novel is about C, he's only ever identified by his first initial, an East German writer traveling through West Germany during the mid-1980s on an expired visa as he avoids writing the work for which he's been awarded a literary stipend. This really serves as a metaphor for the struggles of writing as a product of self-construction and the individual and collective failures to countenance the burdens of history, in this case, the Second World War and the division of Germany into BRD and DDR. I should say that in the interest of transparency, I was provided a, a copy by the publisher Two Lines Press in exchange for a fair and honest review. And my full thoughts are forthcoming at the website Statement of Record, Statorec, that's S-T-A-T-O-R-E-C dot com. However, I'm thrilled to report that Hilbish lives up to the hype. This book was revelatory, and I'll be sure to follow up with the rest of his works currently available in translation, and I'd recommend that you do the same. 
Secondly, and is no surprise to those who follow me on social media, I'm reading Transcendental Style in Film, Ozu Bresson Dreyer by Paul Schrader. He's most widely recognized as a screenwriter of Taxi Driver, as well as the writer-director of Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, First Reformed, and this year's The Card Counter, among many others. This book tackles some heavy topics in philosophy, theory, and criticism, but makes them both accessible and fascinating. It's very much enriched my experience of his films in particular, and of cinema in general. I'm also happy to note that Jordan Rothacker and I are preparing to record the first episode of Volmania, in which we'll discuss an Afghanistan picture show, or How I Save the World. We'll be recording in late January and plan to release it in early February. We can't wait to share it with you. And as a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Volmania. To close, I hope you're all doing well, staying safe, and looking forward to a great year in reading ahead. Thanks, Ryan. Let's go to Lauren Teixeira from the Our Struggle podcast. Hi, Ben. This is Lauren Teixeira, a previous guest on the show. Uh, my favorite book that I read this year was probably Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy or maybe Goodbye Columbus by Philip Roth. It's a toss-up. I uh, didn't really read anything that came out this year that stood out to me, so I'll pass on that question and finally I'm looking forward to the translation of um, Olga Tukarchuk's novel um, I think it's called The Books of Jacob that's coming out next year because I really liked Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead okay happy holidays bye thanks Lauren let's go to George Salas hi there this is George Salas the best books I read this year include Women and Men, especially the first half, but the whole experience of it was both amazing and challenging, and it was a pleasure to co-host a group read of the novel with Ryan Alexander. I have an interview with Joe and a long review of the novel on my site, thekaleidoscope.com, and then there was the tunnel group read we hosted as well, and I just made my review of the monolith available on Patreon for early reading. That's The Tunnel by William H. Gass. Another standout was Love in a Dead Language by Lee Siegel, which is one of the most playful and metafictional novels this side of Pale Fire. Again, you can find my review of that on the site. As far as books that came out in 2021, the most notable are Lance Olson's Skin Elegies and Evan Darrow's Permanent Earthquake. Guess where you can find the reviews. Next year, I'm excited to read Moby Dick for the first time and follow it up with Pierre Sanche's Ahab sequels, which is freshly published by Contramundum Press and translated by both Jacob Seifring and Tegan Rayleigh. I'm also excited to read Sean Carter's translation of Mertia Cartarescu's Solenoid and might co-host a group read with Ryan depending on how much writing I can get done in the meantime. Books in general, I could name lots, of course, but I'll settle for The Sweet Meat Saga by Gravenson, which is going to be reprinted by Tough Poets Press, and Hustler's Grotto by Yoyoi Kusama. Oh, and Oreo by Fran Ross. 
and the devil to pay in the backlands by Joao Rosa, and leg of her leg by Ahmad Fari al-Shidyak, which is translated by Humphrey Davis. But before I continue ad infinitum, I'll leave it at that. And I'm wishing everyone a wonderful new year filled with lots of beautiful reading. Our final guest for the night is the one and only Sean McCallum. Yo, what is Rock happening, Black? Woo! <laughs> Go <Welcome>. on. <laughs> ben, how are you? Welcome, Sean. How are you going? I'm doing well. How's that? How's the Christmas special coming along? It's good. We, um, we've had so many calls. Yeah, books. 2021. Sean, what happened to you with books? So, so do we want to start with the best book from 2021 or the best book I read in the in a calendar year? Let's do However you want to do it. All right. Well, this is, uh, I think, the, the best new book I read at, uh, you know, at the risk of maybe sounding like I'm pandering to the hosts. But uh, without question, this is how I got connected with Tommy Wade. This was, without question, the best oh, there book it is. I read, oh, Day You Can Die by Tommy Wade. So it may sound like I'm pandering to the guests, but honorable mention to uh, – Mark A. Henry, uh, lacking evidence to the contrary. Marlo Granados, Happy Hour. Those those came close, but Any Day You Can Die was without question the best book I read. And again, nice. I'm not pandering to you, but it was honestly. It was just a rollicking ride that I thoroughly enjoyed, and uh, it sort of got me hooked up with you guys. So that was without question the most fun I had reading a book this year. So that was that was my book of the year for 2021. So nice one. I, Thanks, I did mention your book. Uh, the recalcitrant stuff of life right at the beginning uh, of this. <laughs> and that was definitely on my nice. list of best books of 2021. Ben fumbled the, the title when he had no drinks and, that, and then he could actually say it when he's had 12. Yeah. So, That's well, the secret. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah. The ayahuasca did it for me. That's, that's right. Oh, I love it. And then as far as books, um, books I read that did not come out this year, this will, again, probably sound like I'm pandering to the hosts, but um, I, I absolutely loved the World Cup of books. And it was just so much fun watching that unfold and, and voting. Um, but without question, the best the best book I read in 2021 was uh, Ulysses, James Joyce. And it was uh, I mean, it was a, a bit of a it was hard work getting through it. Took me about two and a half months to read it in its uh, in its you know totality, but it was just an amazing read, mind boggling. So that was that was you know pr- without question the best the best book I read was Ulysses. Um, it'll probably be a couple years before I try to dive into that one again. There's there's just so much there, but um, so that was my favorite book uh, in 2021. And, but yeah, but Ben, I just I did want to say that World Cup of books was pretty amazing, and I just it's funny. <laughs> I I consider myself to be relatively well read. And then, you know, you put up all the matches there and, and there's so many of those amazing books that I have not read. So I've clearly got some work to do. I just, uh, you know, they're all on my on my Christmas uh, Christmas wish list now, I think, is, you know, uh, I, I noted there's about a dozen different books that I'd love to sink my teeth into over the next couple of years. So great job by you. That was uh, that was that was a pretty cool thing you did there. I love that sport. It's my favorite. Yeah, that's right. So it's a great sport for unathletic guys like ourselves, right? You know, something we can play. <laughs> yeah, it's quite easy. No equipment needed. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's good. 
can do it from the comfort of, uh, of your couch. Uh, and then, uh, and then the book I'm probably most looking forward to uh, for next year uh, is the winner of the, the 2021 world cup of books, which is Moby Dick. I've had that one sitting on my shelf for about six months. I typically wait till the Christmas break to try to uh, sink my teeth into um, a giant all consuming <laughs> novel. So, so uh, wait, wait one second. So you're going to sink your teeth into an all consuming um, oh, Moby Dick, sorry. All-consuming Moby Dick, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to gobble it up, you know? I'm going to spend a month. Uh, yeah, so obviously with that one, uh, just running through the competition and uh, making short work of every other uh, great work of fiction, uh, it's probably high time that I uh, that I try to tackle that one. So we'll be looking forward to that one in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. Well. So... Uh, and I'm sure you guys have discussed already what uh, what your favorite books are. Um, we have. Yeah. You have. All right. So what, uh, what you know, at, at the risk of repeating yourselves, what uh, what, what were you guys both uh, most into this year? So I I said my book of the year was David Keenan's Monument yeah. America. Yeah, yeah. That was my book of the year. What was yours, Tommy? Yeah, I would I would say. Uh, Coincidate by David R. Lowe, who was on my podcast uh, a few months ago. That was a book about incels. Uh, well, one incel shooting up a school and then wow. uh, some some crazy shit fell out from there. But that was, uh, to be honest, I feel like that was um, because I didn't read Kurt Vonnegut for like 10 years. And then I read a book that reminded me of Kurt Vonnegut. And I was nice. like, holy shit. Uh, this is why I love Vonnegut. So uh, Lowe is a great writer uh, by himself, but yeah, it was also kind of like some uh, dormant Vonnegut love that was happening for me as well. So yeah, that, that was awesome. uh, my my favorite little uh, ditty this year. Yeah, all right. I'll have to check both of those out. Yeah, Ben, I've, I've heard you talk about uh, David Keenan's book there, um, and he was a phenomenal interview on your podcast. So yeah, thank yeah, you. He's amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's I, you know I was talking to someone at this Christmas party last night who's a big reader, and uh, she's not on Twitter. And I was like, "You need to be on Twitter because every book I've come across over the past sort of eight months has essentially come from Twitter recommendations and podcasts." So um, you guys are doing you're doing great work by getting the word out there. There's some awesome stuff that uh, that we all need to to dive into. Yeah, it's a great place to be. I think the community is uh, brilliant, especially on Twitter at the moment, and. You know, our little book world has grown immensely and it's a nice place to meet people and to uh, find brand new, fantastic reads. Yeah, beautiful. So Christmas is coming up in Australia. Um, you know, I think Hanukkah has already already happened. What do, any any okay. Australian, any traditions that are unique to Australia that uh, maybe the rest of the listeners may not be aware of? Tommy, what do you think? Uh I can't really think of anything like we basically um we go down the beach on uh christmas day that's kind of like the standard family thing so uh nice. you go down the beach on christmas morning and um but yeah and in, in respect to like the lead up and all that type of stuff yeah it's it's, it's all pretty kind of like similar and all that shit but um <laughs> yeah you just kind of like you co-op the snow for fucking hot sun and uh yeah that that's pretty much all i can 
think of at this point in time. Is there any different, uh, anything different, Ben, that I'm missing? I don't think so. Um, I think that we eat fish. Uh, yeah, seafood platter as meal. opposed to a turkey thing. On yeah. interesting, yeah. I like that. Mm. Beautiful. But also, like, remember, often it's 35 degrees here in Australia. Yeah. Day, so it's a little bit different to the 35 degrees Fahrenheit that it might be over there or less. Yeah, that's it. I know when I, you know, we've only spent one Christmas down in Peru. And, uh, you know, that being uh, in the you know, southern hemisphere where, you know, similar to where you guys are, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. I mean, they do. They do at midnight on Christmas Eve. Everyone lights off fireworks out in the street. It's like the most, the craziest thing. I don't know if that's something they do in Australia, but it was like there's it sounded like a war zone more than anything else. And then yeah, New Year's everyone goes to the beach, which was which was really cool. So yeah, we're we're stuck in the snow up here, but you know obviously uh, it would be nice to be down <laughs> down at the beach on on Christmas morning or on New Year's mm-hmm. Day. All of that sounds pretty good to me. I know. I, I I think I'd swap it all for the snow. So yeah. Oh really? See, yeah, I, I like I like the snow until about January first, and then then I'm ready to, to get the hell out of there and <laughs> <laughs> go somewhere warm. But yeah, it's it's the kids have fun in the snow. Nice. All right, we should probably wrap it up, Tommy and Sean. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. This has been fucking fun. I'm drunk as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to talk properly, but uh, oh. that's a good time. It's time to end. Yeah. All right. Well, Sean, Tommy, everybody else, thank you so much. It's been great. All right, gents. Thanks, Thanks for having everyone. me on. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry cool. Christmas. <laughs> All right. Merry Christmas, Tommy. Merry Christmas, Sean. Have a good one. All right. All right. See you guys. Catch you later. That is it for 2021. Thanks so much my co-host Tommy Waite and everyone who contributed to this episode. We wish you all a happy Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and a new year full of great books. A huge thanks for all of our amazing guests this season and all of our wonderful listeners. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back for Season 2 very soon. See you then.